This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. listening to In a City Like Yours, a semi-monthly podcast featuring interesting people with interesting life stories. This podcast may contain language and or subject matter not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Michael G. Moore. Please visit our website at inacitylikeyours.com. That's I-N-A-C-I-T-Y L-I-K-E-Y-O-U-R-S dot C-O-M for links to our social media, all popular podcast platforms, and links of interest pertaining to all episodes. On this episode, I speak with David, who is a retired Marine Corps gunnery sergeant. He tells of his retirement to civilian life after serving his country for 20 years. He searched for an avenue to fill his time in some meaningful way. What he turned to was what he knew best, wilderness and survival training. He found he enjoyed teaching young people these skills, and he has focused on that aspect of his life ever since. After a break from our sponsor, we hear from David. Support for In a City Like Yours comes from Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. This revolutionary company, Manscaped, has redesigned the electric trimmer. It's also waterproof so you can use it in the shower. The Lawnmower 2.0 comes inside the perfect package, which makes it the perfect gift this holiday season. Tis the season to Manscaped. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, your friends, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. That's B-I-G-H-E-A-D-S. This is a call to action, fellas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code BIGHEADS. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Okay, hi everybody. My name is David Norseman Williams and I am in Priest River way up in North Idaho. And I guess today I'm going to talk a little bit about my transition out of the military, uh, the Marine Corps specifically, and into civilian life because that seems to be a real touch-and-go subject for a lot of returning vets. Um, And when I say returning, I don't necessarily mean returning from deployments, but returning to the civilian life because it's it's so different than being uh, in, in military service. So... I guess I'll give a little 
backstory of, of how I joined the military and why it was such a good road for me to travel as opposed to, you know, some other people may have a different take on that. Uh, I grew up in southern Michigan uh, in a, a town called Jackson. I wasn't born there, but I moved there real young uh, when my parents split up. And the military is always, I've always kind of had my eye on it. I've had my, you know, family members that served and I've always kind of looked up to them. Uh, they always seem to be the most righteous of the group. <laughs> I guess I'll just say that. And so I kind of wanted to, you know, I emulated that as a child. That was, you know, that's what I saw and that's what I wanted to be. So I kind of set my goal on it, on joining the service relatively early in my childhood. And I was always into the outdoors, hunting and fishing and doing survival tasks. You know, I had to, uh, even what they would call like prepper stuff now, like I had a garden and I raised some rabbits and I did those kind of things as a child that not necessarily all my friends did. It was just sort of the, the side gig. I guess you'd call it the, just what I had going on personally outside of school and, and friendships and that kind of stuff. So that wilderness background kind of, it really kind of navigated the whole rest of my life, uh, just taking so much solitude. You know, I had two sisters, an older and a younger, and they continually tortured me. So my escape was into the wilderness. And then eventually I grew up. Uh, graduated high school and joined the Marine Corps and I got my first duty stationed you know after boot camp and everything was in Southern California uh, I went to the infantry on Camp Pendleton and and I really enjoyed the job you know the training um, but it wasn't it wasn't what I expected I expected you know outdoor life I expected survival training and you know all the stuff you think you see on TV, that's what I expected. I didn't expect the day-to-day -day and the, the spit and polish and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I adapted well, and I did my four years, and I got out. Uh, I didn't seem to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish when I was in. My initial goal was to become a scout sniper, and that just didn't happen on that first tour. So I got out, and I came. I went back home to Michigan, and I was working multiple jobs. Uh, up to three, uh, I think maybe even four at one point. And, and it was driving me into an early grave. I was sick all the time, never got to sleep, uh, never got to spend any time with my family. And it was driving me insane. So one of the jobs I had was a landscaper and I'd worked there for two seasons. And, you know, that led into different jobs, you know, fixing lawn equipment, that kind of stuff for other companies. And he had offered me a partnership. And I thought, you know, this could be it. This could be, I mean, it was a, it was a good company. It was making good money and he couldn't do, he couldn't keep up on his own. He needed to bring someone on board. So he offered me a partnership and I thought about it and I thought, is this really what I want for the rest of my life? Do I want to be a partner in a landscaping business in Southern Michigan or do I want something more? And, and I decided I wanted something more. So in probably the ballsiest move of my life, including military service, uh, I packed my family up on a truck. I, I told him no, quit my jobs, packed everybody up on a U-Haul truck and moved back to California, back into Southern California. And uh, it basically, I just put it all on the line. And I said, I can't be happy. I may be able to make a living and I may be able to have a, you know, a good life and, you know, keep up with the Joneses and all that business, but I'll never be happy here. So I left. And I think that that's probably a good lesson for anybody. Like if you're not happy 
with what you're doing, then you need to find an exit plan and figure out what makes you happy and go do it. But that didn't make me happy. Leaving didn't. I ended up in Southern California working for a lawn equipment company, fixing lawn equipment, doing the exact same job that I had in Michigan, which was quite a pay cut when you consider moving from Southern Michigan to Southern California. And oddly enough, I guess the fates had it in mind that that's what I should do because as I transitioned to California and I applied at this place, they were just now looking for a mechanic. And it just so happens their mechanic was leaving and he left and took my job in Southern Michigan. So how odd is that? That all the way across the country, we would swap jobs, never even knowing each other. So it was obviously fated to be. It just needed to, it just needed me to pull the trigger and make it happen. And that's where I worked. And I spent a little time outside the Marine Corps in Southern California, uh, doing what I could do to make ends meet, you know, trying to, at this point I had two kids uh, in my, my wife and I, you know, we married right out of high school and we got five total now, but uh, at the time we had two. So it was all I could do to just work. Uh, I worked that job and then I worked a night security job and then eventually moved up the ladder, found better jobs and, and got tired of that life again. So I contacted the prior service recruiter and went back on active duty and ended up in one of the sister battalions right next, same camp uh, on Camp Pendleton. Uh, they got little, little stations all the way around Camp Pendleton in Camp Horno is the first Marines camp. And that's where I was at on both of my tours. So I just went to a different battalion on the same camp, which is real familiar to me and real comfortable. So I did my time there and I was there, oh, probably back in the Marine Corps for about three months. And I had an opportunity to try out for the sniper platoon. So I joined the sniper platoon later that year, went to school, passed, uh, did a couple of deployments with them. And then back to scout sniper school as an instructor and uh, worked my way through there. Once I left sniper school as instructor, I went back to my original battalion, which was third battalion, first Marines as the sniper platoon sergeant. And I know I want to talk about my transition out, but this is all kind of, I mean, this was, these are the steps that led to it. There was no big life changing event other than just deciding, you know, to put it all on the line and move back to California. It's just my life the way it happened. So I ended up in Camp Pendleton back at my old battalion, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines as the sniper platoon sergeant. We did a couple of deployments. This was around the 9-11 timeframe. And then when I left there, I went up to teach at the Mountain Warfare Training Center in Bridgeport, California to run the Mountain Scout Sniper course and the Mountain Survival course. Now, at this point, the Mountain Survival course was turned off. I had attended it in 2000, years before, and it kind of goes through phases where they shut courses on or turn courses on and shut them off. So I had attended the course and I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't there anymore so i trained my instructors we rebuilt the course from the ground up got it approved by training command and then initiated the mountain survival course once again and i taught up there for a couple of years and attended uh international survival evasion resistance and escape instructor course in norway which was two parts so i did the summer the winter portions of that and got internationally certified as a seer instructor and then uh, i was just settling in actually i'd only been on the mountain for a couple of years and finally got all my full qualifications as a red hat 
And the Marine Corps, in its infinite wisdom, uh, at this time I'm a, I'm a gunnery sergeant uh, on E7. So the Marine Corps decides that they're going to transfer me to just there in your neck of the woods, Michael, over in Gulfport, Mississippi, uh, just to, you know, just across the border right there in Gulfport, to be the uh, battalion advisor to a battalion of Navy CBs. Which, if you don't know what the CBs are, CB is construction battalion. So they're just basically construction workers. It's it's very far removed from the military that I am used to. I mean, I know there's all kinds of branches and all kinds of things to do, but it was very, very much removed from infantry or uh, sniper duties or reconnaissance or anything along those lines. What do they do? They go in first and then set up shop or something? CBs? No, they don't necessarily go in first, but uh, the CBs build. Um, Like some of my examples with them is I went to Afghanistan with the CBs and we... We worked for almost anybody in the Navy, Marine Corps that wanted a base built or needed buildings and uh, a road built. They did. They do a lot of well digging, a lot of stuff like that. And they also do some stateside stuff. So if there's disaster relief and things like that, then they go in and they use their construction skills when it's not forbidden by local law because they're essentially taking jobs away from local workers when they go in to do that to clear roads and stuff like during Katrina. Uh, when they do that, they, they tend to get in trouble, but sometimes they have to, to go in and do that. So that's essentially what they do. They build stuff, and they, they build roads, bridges, uh, waterways, whatever it takes. But it's not fighting. They, their motto is, we build, we fight. And they do fight, and we did get in a few skirmishes with them, but they're not actively patrolling and looking for the enemy and, and running them down. And uh, That's just not their job. Their job is to defend while they build and and they do that you know they do that respectably they defend their construction sites while they're doing their their business but that was not my world and it it occurred to me that the marine corps had promoted me outside of my job Uh, as a gunnery sergeant all i wanted to do was uh mountain stuff i wanted to stay on my mountain and teach skiing and survival and mountain warfare and you know, rock climbing and tracking and all those things that we did up there. And I couldn't do that anymore. So I decided that it was time for me to leave, that I couldn't be happy just being an admin guy or a military advisor. So I left. Um, And just previous to my retirement, or just prior to my retirement, I had a good friend and mentor in the survival community. His name was uh, Ron Hood. Uh, A lot of people knew him as the woods master. He He was a pretty famous person. And he was a good, good friend of mine. And he was suffering from, well, he was dying from Agent Orange poisoning from his time served in Vietnam. And he had a heart attack in his sleep one night. It was, it was real sudden. He was actually gearing up to go to an outdoor event the next morning. And he just never woke up. Uh, So I came up here for his funeral or his uh, celebration of life at the Buck Factory here in, in Post Falls, Idaho. And I didn't have no money, you know, just being active duty, having a bunch of kids, just got moved to Mississippi. Um, you know, it was a strange time. So I flew up here to his funeral and I rented a car, but I didn't get a hotel. I just brought a rucksack and I just kind of drove around the lake and crashed in the bushes wherever I could find a dirt road. I just rolled off the side of the dirt road and slept there for a week. In the morning of his celebration of life, I actually bathed in a creek and then put on my dress uniform and went to his, uh, went to the celebration and 
Uh, and then that night I returned back to the woods and put on my grubbies and went back to doing what I was doing until it was time to leave. And I decided right then and there that any place in the world where I can do that is a place where I want to live. So, you know, fast forward, fast forward another year and I'm up for retirement. I put in, I got approved and, and here I am, uh, retired in North Idaho, only a few miles from, from where his house was at the time. And one thing that I did while I was on active duty, um, working at the mountain warfare training centers, I started making knives and that proved to be the single best decision I'd ever made in my life. Uh, as far as helping me get through the transition period of getting out of the Marine Corps was the fact that I had an escape. I had something to do that could not only remove the day-to-day troubles from my mind, but it also allowed me to make a little income on the side. That started on actually Thanksgiving Day of 2010. My wife was making Thanksgiving dinner. We were still up at Bridgeport. And she wanted me out of the kitchen, basically, because I just harass her while she's cooking. And uh, so I went out in the shop and I was like, well, what can I do? And I just grabbed an old broken machete blade and I basically ground it into the shape of a knife and heat treated it in the wood stove in the living room. And uh, I did all I could do to make make that into a knife. And when I when the when that weekend was over, I went back to work. Guys at work loved it. They're like, I want one. And hey, can you make one for this guy for his retirement? Can you make me one? And. So I made a few and gave them away, and then I started selling them and making a couple bucks here and there. And I started taking any money that I made while I was on active duty, and I put it back in the shop. I bought better equipment, heat treat ovens, grinders, you know, all the things that I would need to actually produce quality blades and not just some guy making them out of files and stuff. Once I moved up here, uh, I ended up relying on that income for, uh, well, for over the first year that I was out of the Marine Corps. I didn't, I'd never had to get a job since I retired. I just, between my, you know, my retirement and, and my shop, I managed to make a, enough to keep the lights on. And that was a real, you know, that was a real, uh, a real good step that I took. And, and what it did was it helped me clear my head because whenever I could get, whenever I get stressed out or lost in my head or, or, you know, feel sorry for yourself or anything like that, I would always just go out and just, beat on steel and make knives and and it really took me away and put me in a better place and it helped me stay focused on on what I was supposed to be doing which is you know all the way back to the beginning building a better life for me and my family not just letting things happen but making things happen you know after being here for a while I kind of got that yeah in the military there's, there's always schools you're always going to some training or or some formal school or some informal school or some package or something there's always some kind of training going on and I miss that. So I'm up here in North Idaho in my, my little eight acre homestead in the middle of nowhere. And, and I'm not getting any training. I'm just kind of muddling around in the shop and I'm getting kind of burned out on knives because I've been banging them out as fast as I could for a year. And, uh, and I decided to seek some training. So I started looking up on the, on the uh, VA's application thing and see what schools were covered by my GI Bill because I had no desire to go get a degree. Um, it's not going to do me any good. So I just want training, just fun stuff. So I went to a guide and packer school down in Montana and learned how to guide for big game hunts for, you know, deer and elk and, and how to pack mules and pack gear into the, 
uh, into the forest on on the backs of animals. And it was an amazing course. And it really opened my eyes to backcountry mobility, which is, you know, regardless of how good you are at survival, backcountry mobility is a is a big flaw in a lot of people's plan is being able to move gear from one place to another over the mountains effortlessly. And I got to the course, I graduated. Um, it was a, it's only about a month long, but it was pretty intense, uh, pretty intense course tests every day and, uh, physical and mental. And then I came home and started getting that feeling again after a little while. And I had met a guy at guide school who happened to have gone to saddle building school. So I was like, well, I could do that. You know, I, I have to make sheaths for my knives anyway, so I might as well learn how to build a saddle because I guess if I can make a saddle, I can make a sheath at least as good as anybody that's doing it, you know, in theory. So I packed up, I signed up, I went to saddle building school down in, again, in Montana. Uh, a cat named Dale Moore, who is just about as old as the mountain and has been packing and, and moving over him just about as long since he was a little kid. And Dale was a great instructor and I got through the course and I graduated with honors because I had a I had a pretty cool saddle and I actually used some of my packing experience and I designed a western riding saddle with packing bees on it so I can actually ride it into the mountains and kill an elk and then pack it out on my riding saddle without doing any damage to the saddle. It's actually built for that. Um, so it's a really unique uh, piece of piece of tack. So I love the course so much. Dale was such a good teacher. I knew that my wife would love it also. And she's been kind of hunting for something to do to keep her occupied as well, besides just being mom and cooking and cleaning. She wanted she wanted a hobby. She wanted to be able to do something. So I transferred over some of my GI Bill benefits to my wife and sent her off to, to saddle school. And um, she was scared to death and she went anyway. And because uh, she's never been to anything like that. So she went anyway, she graduated. She absolutely fell in love with leather and now we have our shop you know i make knives and she makes leather it's uh survival hardware because that's kind of a tip at the hat of my you know of everything that got me here you know doing the survival the quest for survival and outdoor skills and and all that business is what uh our company was essentially formed on and now she does just amazing leather work and she does just about anything you can imagine uh, yeah, i mean if, if it can be wrapped in leather we can wrap it in leather and that's really what what really pushed me to not fall into that hole that a lot of guys fall into when they get out they don't have any direction and the world on the outside is so different having to deal with with people on a different level you can't just deal with people like you do in the military we just call you stupid call you a few names maybe you go out behind the woodshed and you know take a few whacks at each other you can't do that now as a civilian because uh, you know, you'll end up getting the pantsuit off you. You have to take a different approach. And that kind of kept me out of my head and on the straight and narrow path. And I do a lot of, uh, you know, now that I'm kind of transitioned, I guess I've been out for about six years now and I'm fairly comfortable in my skin again. And, uh, so I do a lot of, uh, volunteering for, for different organizations. I volunteer for for the Recon Sniper Foundation and for Hope for Warriors. And essentially, they just help transitioning vets uh, in various different ways from from hunts to to financial aid and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so I work with those two agencies as often as they need me. And then I also volunteer for local 
stuff like uh well at a local wilderness school i'll go help them in the summers and teach their teen camps and just mentor the teens in wilderness education um i mean just just yesterday as a matter of fact i was at the junior high school here in priest river helping paint the soccer field uh, and then early next week i have a little me time i'm going with a buddy of mine we're going up uh into the mountains to hunt some bear and then as soon as i get back from that bear hunt i have a class that i'm teaching at the local library on wilderness survival kits mostly centered for the homeschool kids because we have a lot of homeschool kids up here so that they can get a little bit of you know outside the family education so uh so i'm doing that class for them and helping them because uh, it's hunting season and i know a lot of the homeschool kids here hunt and spend a lot of time in the forest on their own. So I thought, uh, what better class to give them than, um, than survival kits, how to put one together, how to carry it, how to have one that's the right size so that you have it with you when you need it. Uh, Cause it doesn't do any good if it's in the car or if you have this giant backpack that weighs so much, it's not even worth taking out. So, and that's what I'm into. So now I just look for any opportunity to help other people. Uh, that's really what's kept me out of my head and kept me going straight and got me through my transition was just looking for other opportunities to give uh, just to give to other people because uh, I think we get out and we we get so centered on we got to make rent we got to get food we got to get the lights on we tend to forget that this is a society and if we can give we'll generally get more in return and and that's kind of been the premise of my life now is to just give 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 it let, you know, I'll always find a way to make ends meet. I'll always find a way to get things done that need to get done. But anytime I can, I just give, 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 give my time, my skill, my attention, uh, anything I can give to other people, because that really is what keeps me in the right frame of mind to keep moving forward and, and make a better life for me and my wife, and my kids. You teach a lot of classes. Is that something that somebody can approach you and say, you know, I have a, I have this organization and I'd like to have a survival class. Would you do something like that if they came to you? Is that something that you, uh, as part of your, your, uh, job now? Yeah, I'll certainly do that. And that's exactly what happened with the library is that I volunteered. We have a program at the high school called the after school program and my kids take full advantage of it. They go to after school program and do metal shop, learn to play guitar, do some home ec stuff, all kinds of things after school. And the after school program, uh, the lady there asked if we had anything we could teach. And I was like, well, I can do a little survival class for the kids if they, you know, if you, if you're okay with me starting little fires and stuff. And she's like, great. So I went in and I actually did two, two hour long survival classes for the after school kids and they loved it. And uh, I'll probably be back doing a few more this year if that program is still running. And that's what led to the lady at the library asking me if I would mind doing that for the homeschool kids. And uh, I'm more than happy to give my time to anybody that needs it. But it has to be for the right reasons. Like I'm not going to go to a for-profit school and donate my time and expertise and energy so that they can put money in their pocket. But if they're doing something that's going to help people and they're doing it for free or, you know, for the community that's community building, then I'm all about it. Um, I'll jump on board for that just about any day of the week. Just last week, I actually volunteered to go teach at a 
probably the oldest primitive skills gathering in the country called Rabbit Stick down in Rexburg, Idaho. And just because it's Idaho, we're on opposite sides of the state, believe me. So it's a, it's a bit of a drive. It's, I think it took me about eight hours to get there. And so I volunteered to teach, and I went in with the mindset because uh, they graciously accepted me as an instructor, not knowing too much about me and having far too many instructors already. Um, but they took it on the word of, of, a, of a good friend that I would be a great instructor. So I went down there with the sole mindset to not take anything from the gathering but to only give. So although they let me in as an instructor and I taught um, – I taught my classes. I taught uh, observation as a survival skill and really did a deep dive into the observation process and how the eye and the brain communicate with each other. You know, I gave them a lot of really good information that you can't get anywhere outside of maybe sniper school. And uh, and I really seemed to enjoy it. And even when it came to food, I didn't even eat their food. I, I bought my own food. I cooked my own food. I did everything I could to never take uh, anything from anyone there only to give. And the last day as I was loading up my truck, I had bought a raffle ticket for a small portable forge with, you know, a blower and a little anvil and everything. I bought this raffle ticket and I kind of wanted to win it, but I was in the mindset I'm not taking anything away. And uh, sure enough, they drew one ticket for that thing and I won it. And I just think that that's just kind of like when you give, 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 uh, what you need is going to come to you. You just have to be... You just have to be willing and ready. Like I bought, I bought a stack of raffle tickets, not to win the prize, although I really wanted it. But I bought the tickets because I just wanted. I knew what the cause, the purpose for the tickets was to help send someone to the next gathering that couldn't afford it. It was a tuition for the next person that couldn't afford to go. And I thought, well, that's that's something special because these gatherings are amazing, and uh, and I wanted to be a part of that. So I bought my tickets, and then. Uh, I won. And I don't think that it's just, I don't think it was just luck. I think it's, I won because I had spent the entire week with the sole mindset of being grateful for what I have and giving back to the community uh, without trying to take anything in return. And I gifted a lot of people and I gave a whole stack of good stuff to the, to the raffles so that they could sell tickets uh, for various other raffles that were going on. I just gave, gave, gave and didn't ask for anything in return. And I got, you know, I got paid back. I got paid back by winning uh, that other raffle. And I don't think that's coincidence. I think that's just the way it works. Um, I think what you put out is what comes back to you. And if you're always putting out hate and negativity and bad thoughts and bad vibes, and if you're always putting that kind of energy out, then that's the kind of energy that comes back to you. I've seen it a hundred times over that these people are stuck in a rut and all they can do is complain about how you know how bad everything is and how bad it's going to be and all this bad stuff that's coming up and all they're doing is they're inviting all that negativity into their lives instead of just you know flipping the script and just giving and just being grateful and just being honest and and uh and being you know part of the solution and i think that when you start doing that that's when the world flips upside down and good things start coming back to you uh, like you know, the one thing I will say is that I'm really quick to make a decision and very slow to change my mind. So a lot of times I'll decide that this is how it's going to be and I will and I will keep pushing until it happens. You know, my life is a basically an illustration of just that. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. 
but I think those decisions have to be made with the right intent. Um, that the intent can't always be me, 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 or I, I, I. It always has to be someone else. So I've kind of changed my whole focus since retirement is that my purpose on this earth is to help other people in little ways and big ways because you never know how that's going to turn around and how it's going to come back uh, to you. You know, you don't do it for the reward, but you never know how that's going to come back to you and how it's going to serve you in the future just at the right moment when you need it. I was going to ask you, I'm thinking about releasing this as a bonus episode on in November. What are you thankful for in your life now? That's a funny question. So you're asking what I'm thankful for. I'll tell you this. Every single night when we have dinner, my wife and my kids, we get in a circle. And we have a little rock that says gratitude. And we pass this rock around and everybody shuts up. And the person with the rock gets to speak and they tell every night something that they're grateful for right now at dinner. And what that's done, uh, because we've only we still only started doing it about two years ago. And what I noticed that it did for my kids was they started to spend the entire day looking for something to be grateful for. Um, it, it, you know, it was base. They did it because they wanted to have the best gratitude at dinner. But that faded away real quick. But they spent the day looking for something to be grateful for instead of spending the day looking for something to complain about. And that right there was a complete paradigm shift in the whole household. I am grateful that I am able to change. I don't know how to word it, but I'm grateful that I'm able to change when change is necessary and not get so locked into the way it's been and the way I think it should be that I can't see that a change is necessary and should happen. So if anything, that's probably what I'm most grateful for at this particular moment. Just that I'm able to change, able to um, not get stuck in in a pattern of that's the way it is and that's the way it has to be and you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I have a YouTube channel called Dave the Norseman. I've had it for about 11 years and it starts way back when I was on Camp Pendleton and it's not just survival, but it's uh, I wouldn't call it a vlog. I don't know. It's just my life and the little bits and pieces that I'm willing to share. And uh, we're only going up from here. I'm only doing more and more fun and exciting things. <laughs>